The church say amen. God is great. I remember being a kid, we would we'd learn that God is great. God is good. Let us let us thank Him for our food. Right? Remember that? <laughs> God is wonderful. It's good to see you. Members and visitors alike, we praise God for you. We thank you for your attendance online as well as here uh, in person. We praise God for you being here today. Let's go to God, please, in the word of prayer. Merciful and kind, great God in heaven, we we praise your holy and divine name and thank you. We're thankful, Lord God, for the words that we do have, that we can express our love for you, knowing that our words fall short of a true, the true message, Lord God, that we wish to reveal to you and the depth of the true message in which you wish to reveal to us. Thank you for all that you've done and for all that you do. And we thank you for that amazing sacrifice that was made in our behalf that we might live. Thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight to worship you. Thank you for allowing us this opportunity. And thank you for blessing us with a desire to be here. These things we thank you and pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Be thy will. Amen. Esther chapter 3. You've heard it said, the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't uh, use the name God within uh, its pages. The reality is it also doesn't mention the law, doesn't mention the temple, doesn't mention any practices of the ancient Israelite religion. It just, it just tells this account of things that happen in these days. The account is a beautiful picture of the providence of God. And we're not going to look at the providence of God necessarily today. We're looking at how in the world is it possible for us to have a collection of books that we consider books from God and have a book that doesn't even contain the name of God, nor the Jewish festivals, the practices of the ancient Israelites or the law well, let's look at that and let's let's think about it and let's see. So Esther is contemporary with the books of Chronicles and, and Nehemiah during this time, right? And Ezra and Haggai and Zechariah and they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and all kinds of things are going on. And I want to look at just some history and then I want to get into the, the canonicity of this particular book. So Esther chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible says, after these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. The first question is, how did he, speaking of Haman, how did he get there? How did he get there? And I want to I answer the question in just a moment. Go to 1 Samuel uh, chapter, chapter uh, 15. How did he even... Get there. I want to show you that Haman should not even exist, but he does. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. 
Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. That was the exact command of God. Haman should not exist. Turn back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 17. So, so what, what was it that these, these people did that God disproved of and really it made God upset? Tremendously upset. Well, Exodus 17 and verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn and the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Now Deuteronomy, please, chapter 25. The command of God and the prophetic message of God was that Amalek and his people would be destroyed. Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 25, beginning at verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt. How he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. And yet, turn back to Esther, please. In the book of Esther, in chapter 3, there's this man who's an Agagite from the Amalekites, from Agag the king. Why does he even exist? In other words, the book of Esther shouldn't even happen. The account of, of Esther in this whole situation shouldn't have actually happened. But God makes things work according to his will, even if we go contrary to his will. So look at verse 1. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him uh, and established authority over all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. The king's servant who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was about was when they had spoken daily to him. And he would not listen to them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him the people of Mordecai were, or who the people of Mordecai were. And therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Why all the Jews? So think about this. Here's a possibility that Haman wanted to use his opportunity to repay the Jews for the wars that they have had against his people up until this day and even attempting to destroy them. But for whatever reason, Haman not only hated Mordecai, he hated all 
of the Jews. When you read the book of Esther, the perfect timing of all things based on the the study of the Bible, right? From Genesis to Revelation, you find that the timing can be attributed to only God, no one else. I mean, Vashti comes along, she uh, disobeys the king's command, she's removed from office as being the queen. Uh, Esther uh, is given the position who is a Jew. Uh, now all the trouble's about to come their way, but God has chosen to put Esther in a specific place. It's no different from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the Babylonian captivity being spread out all over the place. God always puts his people in the right places. But that's not good enough. Even though that's true and it's accurate, that still doesn't prove to us that this book should be included in the canon of the Scripture. Turn to Esther Esther chapter 4. Look at verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the peoples of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law. He'll be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. So, you know, this is a real issue, right? So so Esther's going to go in there, and she's going she's gonna to interrupt the king, and... and, and against the king's orders, against the king's laws. Remember, this happened to Vashti not many years ago. She disobeyed a king's command. But God made the king find favor toward Esther. So we continue reading in verse 12. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you... And the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. In other words, there's no way that you're going to be spared. So we've got to pray to God. We've got to figure out something that we're going to do. In verse 15, verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I... And my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go to the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. All right. Who are they fasting to? We would say God. But that's not good enough. Right? We would say, well, obviously, you know, this is this is God. I mean, it surrounded itself around God. These are Jews. Who else are they fasting to? And then someone who knows the Word of God, might say, well, you know, when you look at the life of the Jews, they were polytheist. They worship, they worship many gods. They were supposed to only worship one God, but that's why they were always in trouble with the one true God, because they worship many gods. And so you say, well, all right. I guess we can't prove it there. Look at Esther 9, verse 12 and verse 13. And the king said to Queen Esther... The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in Susa, the capital. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It shall even be granted to you. And what is your further request? And it shall also be done. Then said Esther, if it pleases the king, let tomorrow 
also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict, edict of today. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on gallows. So here comes the fulfillment of the prophecy from both Exodus and Deuteronomy that wipe out the whole family of the Agagites, if you will, the Amalekites. You say, okay, but that doesn't necessarily prove that this is a book that belongs in the canon. Now, what I encourage you to do, we put all this together and a little bit more as we continue through this lesson. Turn to Nehemiah for just a moment. So here's the background. I think the background is what's important uh, as we think about this book. The background is the power. It shows the great power of God. Because you have to go to Daniel and you read Daniel and you find the prophecy in Daniel 2 of, of the kingdoms. And you have the Babylonians and you have, you have the Medo-Persian Empire. So in the book of Esther, right after Cyrus has released all the Jews and they're back rebuilding the walls, and they, you have the Medes and you have the Persians. And you have these kings who were kings of the entire world. Now, when you go to uh, Nehemiah, I want to look at uh, chapter 8 and verse 1, because I want you to understand that these kings were kings of the entire world and all of their provinces and all the places that they existed and dwelled. And I want to show you that these kings understood the difference between the gods that their people served and the one true God. Nehemiah uh, tells us that Ezra the scribe was a part of this. In Nehemiah 8 and verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. So Ezra the scribe is a part of this. And Ezra is a man of God. Now I want to go to Ezra, what he says in chapter 7, beginning at verse 7, because Ezra's heart was also right with God. Ezra 7, beginning at verse 7. The Bible there says, And some of the sons of Israel, some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the, excuse me, the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. Verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and teach it, his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He prepared his heart. So the scribe's job is to preserve the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, and to uh, ensure that people follow it, if you will, to, to apply the Word of God. Back to Ezra 7. Look again, if you will. Well, look at verse 6, rather. We haven't looked there yet. Then Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given and the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Now, the king granted it to him. 
In other words, what I want to do is I want to show you that no one in that day had a problem with, uh, with understanding that the account of Esther is 100% all about God. It'll be the same. The book of Esther is uh, one of those books uh, that when you read it, it's it'll be like uh, people saying, you know, uh, yesterday these folks went to the church and while they were there, they were worshiping and they did this and this and this and et cetera, et cetera, but never mentioned the name of God. And then the elders met and, and when the elders met, they were discussing matters uh, within the church and they were talking about the high one and they went on and you never mentioned the name of God. It would be obvious that we're talking about one God, the God that we serve. Xerxes, by the way, um, or Artaxerxes, Ahasuerus, these men are one and the same, right? Darius, those are me. I want you to listen to the power of the Word of God. Because I want to show you that in the book of Esther, that God is everywhere and all around and everybody knows it. It's like God is a no-brainer. You don't have to say God because everyone knows that when you say the God of the Jews in the book of Esther or when you say the Jews met, you automatically know who you're talking about. Now, we know the Jews were one of one heart. Why do we know that? Because adversity came their way. So we know they united. They united in fasting. They united in hopes that the one true God would deliver them from what was about to happen. That Haman and the group of, if you will, um, the the king's men would come and destroy them. Ezra chapter 6. I want you to listen to what Darius the Mede said. And you tell me if he believes, understands, and knows who the one true God is. He sends an edict back. And this edict refers to this particular time that we're reading about in the book of Esther and before. Ezra 6, beginning in verse 1. Then King Darius issued a decree, and search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. Verse 5. And also let the gold and silver utensils of the temple of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be returned and brought to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. And you shall put them in the house of God. Now who do you think Darius is talking about? And Darius knows who, we talk, who he's talking about. We know who he's talking about because there's only one temple in Jerusalem. And there's only one God of the Jews in regards to this particular situation and this temple. Darius says it's all about the house of God and the one true God. Listen to verse 7. Verse 7. Leave this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. What was the history? What was the historical context of Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah? What was the historical context? Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let's keep going. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning what you are to do for these elders of Judah in the rebuilding of this house of God 
The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the provinces beyond the river and that without delay. Now, why did he say that? Well, because Cyrus commanded that, that these people would go home and we would pay for it. We'd give them all their gold back. The Persians would pay for it. All would be well. And they're going to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. That's why he said that. He is restating and fulfilling the promise, if you will, and the command of King Cyrus as commanded by God to King Cyrus through King Cyrus. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning what you are to do for these elders of Judah in the rebuilding of this house of God. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the provinces beyond the river and that without delay. And whatever is needed, both young bulls, rams, and lambs for a burnt offering to the God of heaven and wheat, salt, wine, and anointing oil, as the priests in Jerusalem request, it is to be given to them daily without fail. That they may offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Do you think he knew what he was talking about? Listen to verse 12. And may the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who attempts to change it. So as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem, I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carried out with all diligence. Here comes the decree. And now for the next 60 years or so, they're rebuilding and building and having these issues that are going on. They, they stop the work. They begin the work. All kinds of things are going on during the historical account. But then comes this man, this king, Artaxerxes, Ahasuerus who has this issue with Vashti, who later marries Esther. I want you to listen to what Artaxerxes had to say during the time. So we're we're pre-Esther, we're in the book of Esther, and we're after Esther. And these men, who are not even Israelites, are telling you, we're talking about the one true God. So what does Xerxes have to say, chapter 7, verse 11. Now this is the copy of the decree which King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Learn in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law, of the God of heaven, perfect peace. And now, you, you, you think, do you see the connection? They don't have to discuss in the book of Esther which God they're talking about and who they're fasting to and who the Jews worship and what was going on with Haman. It's obvious. It's so obvious it's glaring in our faces. He doesn't stop there. Verse 14. For as much as you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Verse 15. 
and to bring the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Verse 16. With all the silver and gold which you shall find in the whole province of Babylon, along with the free will offerings of the people and the priests who offer willingly to the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem. Listen, brethren, context is so important. Context. You just got to get the context. Here's the context of the account of Esther. And we're reading about it over and over again as these men, these great men, these kings speak of the one true God. Verse 16. With all the silver and gold which you find in the whole province of Babylon along with the free will offering of the people and of the priests who offered willingly for the house of their God which is in Jerusalem. With this money therefore you shall diligently buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offering and their libations and offer them on the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. So so remember, the book of Esther fits right in between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Of Esther. She, it's right, that whole account is right here. Do you think these folks had a problem with understanding who God was? Absolutely not. It wasn't even necessary to say God. Everybody knew it. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. Also the utensils which are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And the rest of the needs for the house of your God, for which you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. And I, even I, King Artaxerxes, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the provinces beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven may require of you, it shall be done diligently. It's pretty simple. You know, they had a harder time with the book of James than they had with this book. (laughs) Because this book, contextually, you can't do away with it. There's absolutely no way. Because it wasn't just the Jews who had an understanding and um, uh, a, a worship of some sort for the one true God. It was everybody. It was everyone. And it started with Nebuchadnezzar. When you go back, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, and you read about Nebuchadnezzar, and he finally understood who the one true God is after, after being in the, you know, eating grass for seven periods of time. And then he, he said about the one true God, if anyone does not serve the one true God, he would tear the houses apart and he would do all these horrible things to them. He forced them to worship the one true God. And then it comes to Cyrus, and it just continued. It continued. And praise God for that. Look, if you will, same chapter. Look down at verse 23. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of the God of heaven, lest there be wrath against the kingdom of the king 
and his sons. Now Artaxerxes starts giving us more information. I don't want God to be angry with me. (laughs) I don't want wrath against myself. So let this be done according to the will of God. Remember, the book of Esther fits right in here. Verse 25. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the laws of your God, and you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. Verse 26. And whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. And that's why it was so easy to reverse the edict and say, no, 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 the Jews can defend themselves. And they watch God work. The context is so important when you're studying the Bible. Sometimes you have to go outside of a book to understand what that book is talking about. And this is one of those great examples. So, thank you for your time in discussing the canon of, uh, of the Bible. And I hope that uh, looking through that, it, it made sense and you were able to grow in your faith. If tonight you have uh, something on your heart that you'd like to make known and you would like prayers made in your behalf, uh, please make that known. If tonight you are not a child of God and you'd like to surrender to Him in the waters of baptism, please make that known. If there's anything that we can do to help in any way, please make it known. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. Those of you who are online, please contact us. Our number's in front of you. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you very much.